0: I've had this in my heart for a while, uh, really, um, to preach this, and I've just been kind of sitting on it and uh, just waiting for the Lord to kind of give me the green light. And so, um, you know, and it's really all about the armor of God. And I believe um, for us as individuals that we need to have an understanding of our weaponry. Uh, That's why I called this armed and dangerous, because... You know, you can be armed but not very dangerous if you don't know how to use your weapons. And uh, and so over these, however many, however long it's going to end up being, uh, we're going to be looking at each piece of the armor and kind of looking at why does it matter and how do we use it and, and why it's important. And so, uh, you know, I was sharing with you last week about this and, um, you know, and kind of used the, the illustration of you, you don't want to bring a, a a knife to a gunfight. You want to make sure that you've got the right tools and you do have it. God has already equipped us for what? To establish his purpose, his will, his desire in our lives. You know, and but there are some uh, things that we need to understand. I mean, you know, uh, and we'll look at a couple of verses uh, this morning together about this, but it's not a natural fight. I'm not trying to go, you know, throw fist with the devil or something like that. I'm not, you know, I, I mean, even in that sense, I mean, the Bible says he is a defeated foe now. So what do I have to do? I have to stand in what? In what Christ has already accomplished. And I have to enforce the law of Christ in my life and in my family and in my home. And, um, and so last week we were sharing about this. If you uh, happen to miss it or even if you wanted to listen to it again, you can jump on the podcast and listen to it. But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. And this is, uh, you know, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, I'm going to read the first part of this in the Amplified Bible. Starting in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10, and it says, uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing, he says, in conclusion, he says, be strong in the Lord and draw your strength from Him and be empowered through your union with Him and in the power of His boundless might. So let's just start off and say, hey, where's the power coming from? Is it something that comes from us or is it something that comes from the Lord? It's got to come from the Lord. So first and foremost, if anything after this is going to work, You've got to know where it's coming from. You've got to know where the strength behind all of this is happening. And he goes on in verse 11 and says that we are to put on the full armor of God. He says all of his precepts are like splendid armor for a heavily armored soldier. He says so that you will be able to stand or be able to successfully stand against all the schemes and the strategies and the deceits of the devil. That's a mouthful there. But... Is it important to stay on your feet when you're in a fight? I mean, if you know, if you get knocked down in a fight, that's not good. You know, I I like to watch MMA. I know some of you might think that's barbaric and those kinds of things. Don't judge me, but I enjoy watching men punch each other, okay? I just do. And uh, I don't want to get punched in the face. I hate getting punched in the nose. It's happened a few times. I hate it. I don't mind watching somebody else get punched in the nose, okay? I love to watch it. And one thing that you can know is that when they're fighting... If somebody gets knocked to the ground, there's a good chance the fight's almost going to be over. Most of the time, not always, because every now and then somebody can recover. But many times, why? Because the other opponent pounces. They, that's there. it's like, you know, it's like blood in the water to a shark. It's like, here we go, let's do this. And, um, you know, and here it says that we are... That we're to put on all the armor of God, so why? So that we can successfully stand up against everything the enemy wants to do against us. In verse 12, and this is important, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of uh, of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, this is important because many times in life, if we're not careful, we will perceive... That things that are happening are just natural. Well, that person just doesn't like me, or we just don't get along, or I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna put in for a transfer because that person just don't like me. Here's what I have found I have moved several times in multiple states. That same personality will pop up. It's a different name and a different face, but it's the same problem. And I'm like, how did you follow me? Now, there's two aspects to that. I believe God will do that until we deal with whatever it is in us. I've had that where God has, until I learned how to love that person, that personality stayed in my life. And when I learned to love them, God says, okay, now they can move on. And I'm like, praise the Lord. <laughs> but now I have learned. But, you know, just as God will do that, the enemy will do that too. The enemy will bring an antagonizer into your life. To what? To get you off course, to get you off focus, to manipulate situations. Why? So that we miss out on what God has for us. And so it's important that we recognize sometimes, and I'm not saying all the time, please hear me say that. I'm not, a, and I say this because it's funny, but it kind of, there's not a demon under every rock. But there are times where what you are dealing with is not natural. You may be having financial problems struggles or strain and it is not natural you can make more money and it still won't fix your problem because it's a spiritual battle so it it don't get caught up in just and, and look not every look I'll say that side of it because I've experienced that but I've also had it where I was just foolish with my money and it wasn't the devil's fault it's my fault I didn't have no money not his but there have been times Where I could say, Lord, I understand what your word says, and I've been doing what the word says, and I'm in faith, believing, but it is not happening. And so now I'm going to stand upon the word, and, and, and I'm going to begin to do what? Take my authority that's been given to me by Christ for my life. And we're going to look at some of these things. Why? Because we're not fighting a physical battle. Yes, you need to do everything you know to do in the natural, sure. But... We also need to ask the Lord and say, Lord, is there more to this than what I'm perceiving right now? Is there more to this person than just a personality conflict? Is there something else deeper happening in this moment that the enemy's trying to use to get me off course? Because here's the thing, and it's just, and I've shared this before, but God will never do for us what He has given us the ability to do for ourselves. God will never do for us what he's given us the ability to do for ourselves. So in other words, let me give you an example. I mean, you know, I've heard uh, specifically uh, Brother Hagin has uh, shared this and I've heard many other people share similar testimonies that the Lord had opened up their eyes to see the demonic working around them. Jesus was standing there, they're standing there, and there's a a demon working. Jesus is quiet, doesn't say anything. And he's like, Jesus, ain't you going to say something? Jesus, shouldn't you do something? Jesus says, I'm waiting on you. You're the one with the authority. Why? Because what happens when we don't use the tools that God has given us, we stay immature. We don't grow. We don't mature. We don't step up into what God has for us. And the thing is, if we can't handle the little things that come in life, we're not ready for Goliath. You know what I'm saying? And so the Lord says, hey, I'm going to send you... Let me say it this way. He's going to put us in situations... To where we can actually use our tools. The enemy is going to come. God's not sending him, so that's not what I'm saying. But God also, the Bible says, he won't allow you to be, let me see, he won't put you in a situation to fail. You're equipped when the moment hits. Because God will not set you up to fail. I don't believe that. But he also will not do for me what he's given me the ability to do in my own life. And so if the enemy is attacking, I have the word of God, I have the authority of Jesus in the word, and I'm the most dominant voice in my life. You are the most dominant voice in your life. And so it's important, you know, and I have no problem with this. You call me and say, "Pastor, will you pray with me?" Absolutely. But you better be praying too. It's not just on me. And look, and I will pray, I will ask, I will do whatever I can. But if I'm the only one praying, there's got to be a connection and a faith connection that I can pray and you can pray. That's more powerful than if I just pray by myself. And vice versa. If you call and say, hey, pastor, I need you to agree with me. That's more powerful than if you pray by yourself. Why? Because it's scriptural where two or three gather in my name, whatever they lay their hands to, whatever they agree upon, they shall receive. It's multiplication. So, you know, and so that's important is that we understand that, man, we are in a fight. We looked at this last week is that we have an enemy. The Bible talks about it. First Peter in James, it talks about It says, man, that we have an enemy. He is looking for what? He's looking for somebody who's not paying attention. He's looking for somebody who is checked out and the devil doesn't take days off. He's always at work. And so we have to be mindful of this. So we want to be able to to stand even in the days of attack. You know, verse 13 here of Ephesians 6 says this, In the amplified. It says, Therefore, put on the whole or the complete armor of God, so that you'll be able to successfully resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger. And having done everything that the crisis demands... Stand firm in your place, fully prepared, immovable, and victorious. Having done all to stand, stand. Don't back up, don't retreat, don't say, well, I guess that didn't happen, I guess the Lord didn't answer my prayer. No, I'm still believing the very thing that God promised me. Why, that's part of how we wage war on the devil. I stand in faith believing God's promise to me until I see it. And I will keep believing. Why? Because that's my promise. And and I'm convinced that I have a good father. He's not a bad father. He's not an abusive father. He's a good, loving, faithful father. And what he said to me, he will do. And so I believe it's important for us as believers is that, you know, even as we looked at here just a few moments ago, is that this is not power that we bring or something that we do. Now, it does come through us. How many of you realize that a water hose doesn't get you water? How many of you realize this? What does a water hose do? It takes water from one place and it gets it to another. But a water hose by itself does not have water in it, it's just a conduit, right? That's what we are. We are conduits of the power and the presence of God. We can take God's presence and power from one place and now distribute it to another. That's the way God works. But we have to understand what He's put in us and how to use what He has given us. In the New Living Translation, I'm going to switch over just because I like the way it says it. It's a little simpler as well. But here in verse 14, it says, To stand your ground. Well, let me read verse 13 to you, New Living. It says, Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. He says, Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Verse 14 says, Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. He says, In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. It says, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. He says, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, it's important that we realize that there's two times, really, in verse 11 and in verse 14, that God gives us the same um, instruction, which is to stand. God doesn't repeat things because He thought we missed it the first time. He does it to emphasize. As part of the way the Greeks wrote, if they wanted to, you know, like we would have an exclamation point, they repeat it. They say it twice. You know, like in in our modern texting world, it would be all in caps. Like, hey, pay attention to this. And that's what Paul is saying here where he says this. He says, to stand your ground. That means that you have to maintain that place, that you don't yield, you don't back up, that we fight for for the very things that God has given to us. Now, this morning, I want to look specifically at what's called the belt of truth. And depending on what translation you read or look at, it has several different uh, ways that it says it. But uh, there are several things about this. But I want to give you just a little bit of background. Uh, Some translations say to gird up your loins. And so, you know, I mean, I have a belt on. Some of you have a belt on right now. And, you know, why do you have a belt? Because it keeps your britches up, hopefully. (laughs) Right? You know, sometimes I... As I'm doing work, I'll take tools and I stick them in my back pocket just because where else am I going to put them? You know, that's what back pockets are for, you know, the whole tools. And, uh, and so, but if I didn't have a belt on, some days I got enough stuff stuffed in my pockets, it would be an embarrassing moment, right? Well, I wear a belt to keep that from happening, right? So I, I think most of us understand the purpose of a belt. It's more than just an accessory. It actually has a function, And there is a function, uh, even as you look, and and now Paul was writing from the standpoint of really the view of a Roman soldier. Why? Because Jerusalem was under Roman occupation at the time, and so everybody was very familiar. This would be like almost, to kind of put it, it would be like if I was going to say this in a modern language, I'd be like, a police officer has a belt. Now, does his belt just hold up his britches? As a matter of fact, his belt doesn't hold up his britches at all. His belt holds a lot of other stuff. It holds his pepper spray or his mace, his handcuffs, he might have a taser. It holds his pistol. I mean, he's got, all, you know, he's got little doodos all the way around him. You know, he's got just stuff. Why? It's to hold stuff. It, it has a purpose, and yet, when we understand, you know, one of the other things, which I thought this was interesting, the belt of truth would, would be this, would be to gird up your loins, but it also has the meaning of having a clear conscience before the Lord. That's what it means for us as New Testament believers the belt of truth, in other words, understanding that I'm not guilty before God. I have a clear conscience before Him. And I believe that that is important, but also, uh, and and more going into the kind of the the Roman soldiers apparatus is his clothing. You know, they were uh, incredibly skilled warriors, but more importantly than their skill was their armor. The Roman soldiers conquered not because they were just great military strategists, they conquered because they could keep their men alive. That was part of their dominance. It was their ability to protect themselves. And they had built this armor that protected from attack. And so, uh, really, the, 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 um, here the belt of truth, is, it's actually a piece, and it's the most essential and basic part, but really something that you would hardly ever see. It was, in a sense, I can say it this way, it's the undergirding. You know, like I have an undershirt on, and you can kind of see it a little bit here. But you don't really see it. I could have a big logo on my shirt. You wouldn't know it. Why? Because you can't see it. It's underneath. And that's really what this is talking about here. But uh, it was actually a leather apron that was completely beneath the armor. But it served a great purpose. And and so, uh, so part of it was is that it protected the lower abdomen. So all the vitals, your intestines and all the things... You know, I mean, uh, during this uh, culture, one of the things that uh, they really valued was the ability to reproduce. In other words, to have kids. Men wanted to protect themselves. Without being too graphic, you get the picture. It wasn't just a belt. It protected all the way around them. But it was their lower abdomen. And the, even the breastplate, which we'll look at, uh, it actually tucked into the girdle. Why? So that there wasn't even a gap. If you tried to stab somebody in the lower, the, the sword couldn't even pierce through. Why? Because they were protected. And that's really uh, what it was. And so it protected their entire lower abdomen as well as their waist. And all the, a lot of the vital organs were protected by this. And so the belt was very essential for a lot of things. I already touched on this for a moment. But... Um, It also helped the soldier fight effectively. One of the other things that the Romans did with their armor was they had figured out ways to be more efficient and to have more freedom even fully weighted down. You know, our military calls it a rucksack. They weigh 60 to 70 pounds. It's all the stuff they carry. We call it a backpack. Well, you know, when you get into a fight, what's the first thing a soldier going to do? He's going to throw his rucksack off. Why? Because he's got to be agile. One of the things, because, you know, even just the the, uh, the shield that the, the Roman soldiers would carry, they were large and heavy. Well, you realize that they had a clip on the bottom of that thing that would hook onto that belt? So all they had to do was maneuver it. They weren't actually carrying the weight of that shield. That's one of the purposes of that belt. It actually would grab hold of it, and that way all they had to do was just move. They weren't trying to pick up a 40, 50-pound shield to shield themselves. They were just maneuvering it. And with their other hand, they could fight. And so that was one of the purposes. Another thing uh, that it did was it also held a short sword on his side. So he had a long sword, but he also had a short knife. Why? Because long swords don't work in hand-to-hand combat. You got to have room to wield a big sword. But what if somebody gets up on you? He could grab and and it was right there. It was easily accessible. That's why our police officers, even to the day, today they don't just keep their gun at their ankle. or you know, necessarily. Their, they keep it on their hip. Why? Because it's the easiest, quickest way to get to it. And the Roman soldiers did the same thing. They had a short, what they called a scabbard, a, a short knife. It was for real tight quarters. It was almost like a last line of defense, if you will. But without the belt, he has nowhere to hold that. I mean, the Roman soldiers didn't wear jeans like we do today. They didn't have pants with pockets. They were manly men and wore skirts, right? They didn't have have places to stick stuff like we do. I mean, I remember Derek got a dress not too long ago, and it's got pockets in the front. And it's like, what a brilliant idea. Somebody put a pocket on a dress, you know. (laughs) Hundreds of years we had dresses, and ladies have been like, where do I put my stuff? And then they put little pockets in the front, and somebody got smart, right? And all the women say, praise the Lord. I got somewhere to put my key or my makeup or whatever little thing you got to carry. You got a little pocket in front. Well, the Roman soldiers didn't have that, so they had to have a belt to carry it. One of the other things that the belt did was it, it actually supported and carried their spear. You know, every Roman soldier had a long spear. And the belt would actually support it. it had like a sling that they could slide it into. Why? So that they could actually, as a, as a man standing on the ground, could actually kill a horse rider. They could take their spear and, and get him on a horse. They could also take that same spear and throw it like a javelin. But if you got a sword and a shield, where do you put a javelin? How do you grab your... You've got to have somewhere to put all that stuff. That was the purpose of this belt. And, and so you see that there's a lot about... And really it's the most essential part because if he doesn't have that, he's not going to be able to carry his shield. He's not going to have his extra little last line of defense for his little um, knife on his hip he can't carry you know his uh, spear all of these things and yet you hardly even see the belt and yet it's foundational that everything else it makes everything else work I'll say it that way and yet Paul gives us the instructions here and says that it's the belt of truth the belt of truth now you know what is that ultimately Now I'm gonna just tell you this up front because I don't because I know how some of your minds work and you're like, well that ain't true. The belt of truth is the word of God. Now I understand that at the end here it talks about that we're to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is actually listed in here twice. But the way that it is used is different. One of them is defensive, one of them is offensive. And so we'll look at this throughout. As we walk through this, you'll see the difference. But what we're talking about today is this belt of truth. In other words, it's the foundation of everything else that we do. See, we as believers have to understand that God's Word is true. That is truth for us. You know, that um, I believe is the Amplified Bible. When it talks about truth here, it says that it was uh, absolutely free of deception. You know, the Bible says in John 1 that Jesus came and He was full of grace and truth. The Spirit of Christ is truth for us. So God's Word is true. It's important that we have God's Word hidden in our heart. Why? Because when the enemy comes, we shouldn't be scrambling to Google to say, What's that verse Pastor was talking about? Now, if you have to, you got to. And there are days that I've got to. I'm like, Or I read something, I'm like, I don't know where that was. I know it's the Bible. I know it's in there, but I just can't remember where. And look, and we all get there, but you hide the word in your heart. Why? So that it's there when you need it. You want to be proactive, and part of this is getting God's word into your heart. Why? Because God's word is true. And if you don't have truth, and when I say you don't have it, as in you don't fully possess it. You have it. It, It's been given to you. The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. But does that mean that your mind is completely renewed and you think exactly the way that God wants you to today? No, none of us do. But that's why we have to renew the mind. That's why, you know, even last week I shared quite a bit about how the enemy works in our thought life. If we have truth in our heart, it makes it very difficult for the enemy to lie to us and for us to believe him. What happens is when he lies to us and we don't have truth, all of a sudden we're like, huh, I've never thought of it like that. I've never seen it like that. so." So now, and it's exactly what we, and we looked at this last week with with Eve in the garden. Did God say? I mean, that was the question. Did God say? And she's like, well, he said so. She didn't even say what was what God actually said. It was twisted a little bit. And it all started with a question. See, the enemy will do that with us, but when we have truth that's been hidden in our heart, we have the Word of God that's been, it will protect us from those lies that the enemy would want to bring into our life. And so it's important for us to realize this. This is foundational. As a believer, we should be in the Word of God. I mean, we should be meditating on Scripture. Like, well, what does it mean to meditate? You ever just considered something, thought on something? You got a bill and you're like, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to pay for it, but you take a couple days and you think about it. What could I do to pay that bill? You're meditating on that bill. It just simply means to give thought to it. Many times I'll read a verse and it'll just start rolling around in my heart. What I call rolling around in my heart, what is that? I just keep thinking about it. Holy Spirit, I thank you. You're going to give me understanding. You're going to give me light. You're going to give me revelation about what this means. And I just think about it. A lot of times when I, its one reason I love to mow, it's a mindless thing that I do. But I meditate scripture every time I mow. And it's amazing. I meditate scripture and God speaks. Not every time, but most of the time. Why? Because I'm making a priority of truth and God says, hey, I want to talk to you about that. And he'll begin to, and sometimes it has nothing to do even with this, with even the scripture that I'm necessarily thinking about or pondering. But because I've made truth a priority, God says, hey, I want to talk. And I believe that's important. If you want to hear from God, if you want the Word of God to become like alive, you're going to have to make it a priority. You're going to have to read. You're going to have to keep it in your life on a very, very regular basis. Because that's the foundation of truth in our life. 2 Timothy chapter 3 Verse 16 and 17 says this. It says that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. All Scripture is inspired by God. Yeah, but men wrote it. Yes, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just their own thought or their own idea. No, they were inspired by God to write Scripture. And all scripture, Scripture is useful to teach us what is true. So if you're going to have the belt of truth, you're going to have to know the Scriptures. Why? Because that teaches you what is true. The Word word, um, makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. It says God uses His Word to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. God uses His Word to prepare us for every good work. The Amplified of the same verse 17 says, So that the man of God can be complete and proficient, outfitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's Word prepares us for what? It prepares us for battle. It gives us the wisdom that we need, the understanding that we need. It gives us the ammunition that we need. You know, the problem, you know, even kind of with the title of this series, it's armed and dangerous. Many believers have a, they got a gun. They just got no bullets in it. It goes click. (laughs) Like devil, stop it. Click. (laughs) What's the problem? There's no ammo. Guns are great, but you got to have some ammo for the barrel. Doesn't do you a whole lot of good. You're going to make a little bit of racket and probably get beat up, right? Now, you've got to have some ammo in the barrel. And we'll look at that later, but that's where it now becomes offensive. And now we begin to use the sword of the Spirit. That's where we begin to take God's Word and actually do something. At some point, the Word's got to move from our heart into our mouth. And we've got to start saying something. Now, we'll, talk, we'll get into that later. I don't want to get into it, but... Because we will never make it back to the belt of truth. <laughs> i got to stick to my notes. I'm trying, I'm trying. No, he says it, that all Scripture is inspired by God, but here's the purpose of why God gave us His Word, so that we may be complete and proficient, outfitted and thoroughly equipped. You lack nothing that you need to be victorious and to live the best life that God has for you. It doesn't mean you're not going to face things. doesn't mean you're not going to walk through things. But God has equipped us. He's given us everything that we need for every good work, for everything that God would have for us to do. Let me read you a couple verses quickly here. In Psalms one nineteen, verse one (coughs) o five, excuse me, it says, "Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path." God's word. It does what? It lights up my path. You don't really need a flashlight right now, why? Because it's daytime. But if you went out into the middle of the woods at night, you would want a light. Why? Because it it will give you your next step. If if you're facing a situation and you're not quite sure what to do, go to the Word first. Why? Because that's what's going to illuminate your path. Not everybody's opinion, not everybody else's thoughts, not everybody else's two cents, because they ain't worth two cents anyways. Go to God's Word. Why? Because they will give light and direction to your path. You, you, I mean, I, I, I'm human like anybody else. And many times I'm like, God, give me my next five steps. And he says, here's the light. Take a step. And when I move, guess what? The light moves with me. And so I take another step and then okay, I've got that next step and that next step. And it's God's word is what? Giving light and direction to what I need. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. He says, my child, pay attention to what I say. He says, listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them and let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they bring life to those who find them. Let me say this in another way. If you're experiencing um, death or decay or the enemy's getting the upper hand in your life. When you find the word of God, it brings life. God's word brings life. Not only that, it goes on and it says, and healing to their bodies. Healing to your body. It brings life and it brings healing. The Word of God brings life and it brings healing. But it's got to be established on the truth, is which is what? Let's just use this as an example because it says this. is that God will bring healing to your body. Tell me if this statement is true. Jesus died for me to be made whole. Jesus died so that I could be healed. Is that true? Okay. So when symptoms come in your body, what do you do with the thought of, here we go again? Because the truth is what? Your symptom or God's Word? God's Word is true. The belt of truth will protect you from thoughts. Now look, I got nothing against doctors. Praise the Lord for them. But I'm going to stand on the word of God. Doesn't mean I'm not going to go to the doctor. Doesn't mean I'm not going to take medicine. I'm going to do the natural things, yes. But I also understand that there's a spiritual battle at work. And if I would get God's word into my life, cause that to be the foundation of my life. Let me say it this: way. If I would make God's word the focus of my thought, they will bring life to me. They will bring health to me. Verse 23, it says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course and the direction of your life. I speak on that verse a lot. Why? Because it's very vital to us and our experience in life. Guard your heart. Be careful. Pay attention to to what those influences that you're allowing to persist in your life. Over in John uh, chapter 6, we're not going to go into all the details, but I just want to highlight this portion. Jesus is just fed thousands of people and then the next day they came looking for lunch and he says, I'm not feeding you today. And so it says many people left him that day. Many people left Jesus that day. In other words, they weren't there to hear the truth of the kingdom of God. They were looking for a meal. They were hungry. And when Jesus said, I'm not going to be your errand boy, he said, y'all can go home. And they went home. So they had no loyalty. And so in verse 67, Jesus turns to the 12 disciples and asks, and he says, are you going to leave me also? Hey, are you guys going to go home too? And then Simon Peter responds and says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Jesus, where else? You've given us something we've never seen or heard. Jesus, where else would we go? Why? Because he understood that Jesus wasn't just saying words. There was another reality, a deeper reality than just church going. Going to the synagogue, hearing them read. The, there was something different. There was power behind who he was. And there was power behind what he said. And he he had an understanding of this. Now let me give you an example. I'm not, we're not going to read this, but I'll give you the reference. Over in Luke chapter 4, I don't know, verse 1 to verse... 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. It's the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. The devil comes and tempts Jesus. Now, how do we know it was a temptation? Now, just a side note here. The only way that it could have been tempting for any of these three things that Satan came to Jesus and said that he should try to do was that he could have done it. When he said, turn the rock into bread, he could have. He absolutely could have
1: said, Father, I'm hungry. I need
0: this, this stone to be made into bread so that I can eat something. And it says that Jesus was hungry. He so said he had fasted for 40 days. Had eaten nothing. And he hungered. And the devil came and says, hey, if you're... And, and here's the thing, and this is part of what the enemy does to even us. He doesn't attack Jesus' circumstance. He, he really attacks his identity. If you are the Son of God... See, the devil still says that same thing to us. He just says it differently. Oh, if you were really a man of God, this wouldn't have happened. Oh, if you were really a woman of God, your kids wouldn't be acting like this. Oh, if God really loved you, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't find yourself in this moment. It's the exact same thing he said to Jesus. If you were really who you said you were, this wouldn't, this wouldn't happen. Oh, if you had more faith, God would have answered that prayer, but you just don't have enough faith. That's a lie from the enemy. Jesus himself said, look, it doesn't take great faith. He just says, hey, faith is a mustard seed. to Make the impossible possible. So the enemy has taken hold of that and said, oh, well, you just need to believe God. You you know, if you did right, you know, you kicked the dog this week. The Lord ain't going to answer your prayer. You yelled at the kids, you yelled at your wife, you yelled at your husband, you did this, you did that. Why would God work for you? It's It's an assault on your identity. That's exactly what the enemy is doing to Jesus here. But Jesus had an understanding. Number one, I am the Son of God, but number two, I don't have to prove anything to you. But even the way that Jesus responds to him all three times. Is what? It is written. He didn't get all crazy. And start, you know, I'm the son of God. I'm this and I'm that. He said, devil, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I mean, kind of go far fetched here. If God had to. I believe He could sustain my physical body and I never eat. Now you're like, well, God wouldn't do that. I hope not. I enjoy eating. I like to food. (laughs) I mean, just be honest, I like eating and I like good food. But if I was in a circumstance where there was no food, I believe God could sustain
1: my body if I looked to Him.
0: Now how's He going to do that? I don't know. I mean, He brought... Steak from a bird for Elijah. Uh, if I ever got lost in the wilderness, I'd be praying, God, you said you're no respecter person. I need a steak. I don't care how you get it here, but I need I need some bread. You had birds take it to him. You're going to work for me. I need you to... And yet Jesus responds how? It is written. It is written. It is written. And then there's this interesting verse at the end, and it says, in one particular translation, it says that Satan, after the temptation, which really, I mean, we won't get into it, but there's three different types of lust that the Bible talks about. All three of them are represented right there. In other words, there's three great temptations for all of us. All sin is in those three categories, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. All three of them are listed right there. So Jesus said, and then at the end it says, and Satan left him for a more opportune time. And that tells me Satan, when we stand, he will get to the point where we have exhausted him. And he says, this just ain't worth it. I'm going to have to come back another day. I'm going to have to come back some other time because I'm not winning this battle. That's why it's important to having done all to stand, you stand. I will outlast the enemy. I will be more resilient than him. I will be more fixed on, my, uh, on what uh, my faith is and what truth is in my life than, than he is and what he believes is right. I will outlast him. I'm not going to back off. Now I want you to hear here in John 17 a couple of verses. That, and this is really Jesus praying to the Father concerning us, concerning the disciples, which includes us today. John 17, verse 14, I'm kind of picking up mid-thought, but for the sake of time, it's fine. You can read it later. You can go read the full part. But in verse 14, Jesus is speaking to the Father, and He says, I have given them your word. He says, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Why does Satan not like you? Why does he not like me? Because I no longer belong under his rule.
1: I have broke out.
0: And he doesn't like that. I do not belong to this world. Verse 15 says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. See, many believers I've heard, I just can't wait till Jesus comes. I just can't wait till Jesus comes. I just can't wait till Jesus comes. It'll be great in heaven. It'll be great in heaven. Okay, what's he asking you to do right now? Let me say it this way. When God wants you, he'll take you. But until that moment, he's got something for you to do. I'm not looking for an early exit. I want to fulfill my race. I want to do what I'm called to do. So Jesus even says, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Verse 16, he says, They do not belong to this world any more than I do. He says, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Jesus praying to the Father says, Father, give them your word. Why? Because your word is truth. Just in the previous chapter, John 16, two verses, verse 13 and 14, talking about the Holy Spirit. But it says, when the Spirit of truth comes, you know, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. He is true. He cannot lie. He cannot tell a falsehood. So He's the Spirit of truth and He will guide us into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future and He will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. So here we have Jesus now praying to the Father, but now He's talking to the disciples saying, Look, the Spirit of truth is coming for your benefit. And so even when we're talking about the belt of truth, this is what I would say is you've got to learn how to recognize the unction of the Holy Spirit in your life. You've got to learn to realize when a circumstance is going and and all of a sudden there's that little prompting in your heart. Don't say that. You speak the word, that's the Holy Spirit's prompting in your life. He's the Spirit of truth to what? To help us walk in truth. He reminds us of God's Word. Now, why does truth matter? I mean, when we're talking about the the belt of truth, yes, it, it holds all this other armor, but it has a function in and of itself. Remember I said that it protected all their lower abdomen. It protected all, a lot of vital organs. In John chapter 8, verse 31... Jesus speaking to the people says, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, or you remain faithful to my word. Verse 32, he says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, many people aren't free. They've not stepped into all that God wants for them. They're still bound. Truth is what sets you free. I mean, Paul told Timothy, he basically says, what good is a soldier who is enlisted by his commanding officer who goes again and gets entangled with the affairs of life? How many of you are familiar with the passages I'm talking about? When When we have not allowed the freedom of God to flood into every part of who we are, and to every part of our past, and to every part of our pain, guess what? We are still bound and the enemy still has a foothold. But when truth comes into that area... Freedom
1: comes in that area.
0: And it's truth that sets me free. See, so many times I believe, you know, and I'd say this just from experience, I would, is that, like, oh, just pray for me, just pray for me. I I need to be set free, I need to be set free, just pray for me. Just, what you need is to get some truth. Truth sets you free. Now, I believe in the power of God. But let me remind you, God will not do for us what He has given us the ability to do for ourselves. Which is what? doesn't mean we have to set ourselves free. I have to believe the truth of His Word. And when I believe the truth of His Word, it sets me free. I don't have to do it. The weapons of my Word, they're not carnal, they're not natural. I'm not just trying to be a better, happier, more pleasant version of myself. I want to be free to be who God's called me to be. I want to be the devil's worst nightmare.
1: I I do.
0: I don't want to be apathetic about what the enemy's doing. And I don't want to sit back and be like, well, I'll fight when he picks a fight. I want to take the fight to him. I mean, you know, the Bible, uh, you know, Jesus said, made the statement. He said that the gates, that this is my church. He says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Many people believe that it's like a a gate. They've got it backwards. Let me say it that way. It's like the, the gates of the kingdom of God and the enemy can't get through them. That's actually backwards. What it actually means when you study it out and you realize, it means that the gates of hell cannot withstand the kingdom of God from coming into it. In other words, when I'm standing in my place... With the authority of God, with the tools that He's given me, there's no, let me say that, that there is no um, stronghold that the enemy can keep. He can't keep me out. So if He has me bound in insecurity, when I get truth of the Word of God, of who I am in Christ, what happens? Instantly, those doors begin to open. The gates of hell can't prevail against me any longer. Why? Because I have an understanding that I'm not inferior. Now I have an understanding that I have the mind of Christ, that I am called to be who He's called me to be, that I was created for His good pleasure. And all of a sudden, what happens? The enemy loses that ability to control me through insecurity. Truth has set me free. That's the way this works. And sometimes that's the help, and we need the help of the Holy Spirit to what? To lead us and guide us into all truth. So that's how this works. So I'll say, you know, is is this, is that if you want to walk in freedom and victory, you've got to get um, your thinking correct. You've got to get those thoughts that the enemy brings into your, you've got to think correctly. So we have to take our, you know, it's not just taking and saying, well, I'm not going to think wrong thoughts or bad thoughts or negative thoughts or, you know, things that don't line up. I'm just not going to think those things anymore. You have to replace them with something else. You have to replace it with truth. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I may not be the smartest, I may not be the most equipped, but this much I know, God, I believe you told me to do this, and so because you told me to do it, I can do it in you. I have no confidence in myself. For years and years and years, I prayed that every time before I'd get up to preach because I was convinced I could not preach. 100% convinced.
1: I knew it's what I was called to do, but I was convinced I could not do it.
0: And without the help of the Holy Spirit, I still don't want to do it. With the help of the Holy Spirit makes everything different. But I had to get an understanding it that God wants to use me. God wants to work through me. I mean, I used to pray this. This is my prayer. God, I have nothing to say, but I believe you have something to say through me. I was convinced of that. It's one reason I stick to the Bible. Because I know that the Bible is truth. My opinion is not necessarily. That's why I always try to give Scripture not just, well, you know, we might get to a verse or two today. I want to show you multiple times through Scripture why. That's truth. Truth sets people free. We have to exchange those areas of wrong thinking for God's way of thinking. I want to show you just real quickly. It's a familiar passage for many of you. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 3. writes and he says we are human but we don't wage war as humans do. He says we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasonings to destroy false false arguments. He said we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God and we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So really what Paul shows us here is actually how the devil works. Other translations use different words but basically he brings a thought that thought becomes an imagination in other words you're meditating on it that meditation turns into action that action will ultimately lead to a stronghold of the enemy so if I want to keep the enemy from setting up shop in my life what do I have to do? I've got to take care of those thoughts so they don't become imagination so they don't become action so those actions don't become strongholds now what do I do if I've got a stronghold? get some truth the truth that sets you free. What's true? The word of God. The word is what sets you free. So regardless of what you may be facing this morning, regardless of what may be going on in your life, what challenge you may have or what, uh, you know, whatever it may be that you say, I can't do that. I want to challenge you, look in scripture and find out what God says about your situation. You may be sick. What does God's word say? It says that you are the healed of the Lord. You may be struggling in natural things, finances. What does the Bible say? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Psalms 23. You may be in the midst of the storm saying, God, where are you? Well, Psalms 91 says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, but come under the safety of my wing. So, Father, I thank you that I'm going to find myself in that secret place right now. And I'm going to make it a priority that regardless of what the circumstances may be, that I'm going to find rest for my soul. And I know, I mean, let's keep going. Matthew 11:28. 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. I'm not going to put anything on you that's heavy. Why? Why? I love the Message translation of that verse. It says, "Come to me and find the unforced rhythms of grace." God's not forcing anything, but in our mind we can think, "Oh, well, I got to do and I got to do and I got to have all these things going." And... No, I've got to learn to rest and just say, "God, I thank you that in this moment that you are with me and you are for me, and I don't care what lie of the enemy." That he says, I refuse to accept it because I know that I have a good father who loves me. And I know I have a good father who's working for me. And truth says that that's my reality. Not my feelings. Not my thoughts. Not everybody else's thoughts. My reality is God's word. That is my truth. It's foundational to my life. And so every other part of the armor that we're going to look at is based on that. got to have the truth of God's word first. But when you do, it brings about freedom.